I'm Benjamin Wittes, and this is the Lawfare Podcast. Shorts. January 30th, 2019. So we're starting a little experiment on the Lawfare Podcast. And yes, that introduction was an homage to the great Radio Lab introductions. For those of you who don't know them, look it up. For the last few months, we've been thinking about a variety of content that we can provide in audio format that is much shorter than a traditional Lawfare Podcast episode. We're thinking about a variety of different things. And this week, the Senate Intelligence Committee gave us a remarkable opportunity to do this experiment. They heard testimony on global threats to U.S. national security from six heads of the intelligence agencies, Dan Coats, the DNI, CIA Director Gina Haspel, FBI Director Chris Wray, NSA Director Paul Nakasone, NGIA Director Robert Cardillo, and DIA Director Robert Ashley. It was a nearly three-hour open session in which they gave testimony about North Korea, Iran, and ISIS that sometimes clashed with statements made by the President of the United States. But when we did our usual reduction to just the questions and answers that Lawfare listeners need to hear, it was 15 minutes long. We're giving you just that. It's the Intelligence Chiefs versus the Committee with no bull. Director Haspel, one quick, I think, a yes or no question, uh, and I think uh, uh, I almost said Senator Coates, Director Coates referred to this in his opening testimony. Is Iran currently abiding by the, the terms of the JCPOA in terms of their nuclear activities? Senator King, I think the most recent information is um, the Iranians uh, are considering taking steps um, that would lessen their adherence to JICPOA as they seek to pressure the Europeans to come through with the, the investment and trade benefits that Iran hoped to gain from the deal. But, but mm-hmm. since our departure from the deal, they have abided by the terms. You're saying they're considering, but at the current moment, they're Yes, they're, they're making some preparations that would increase um, their ability to take a step back if they make that decision. So at the moment, technically, they're in compliance, but we do see them debating amongst themselves as they fail to realize the economic benefits they hope for from the deal. Thank you. Senator Collins. Let me switch to a different issue, and that is Syria. Let's assume that after we depart from Syria, the Assad regime takes control of northwest Syria and eastern Syria, which I think is a reasonable scenario. Should this happen, what kind of threat would the United States and its allies expect from the thousands of extremists who are still currently fighting in those areas of Syria, such as ISIS? Senator Collins, um, to start with the last part of your question, everyone at this table is working very hard to make sure that we can 
finish the defeat ISIS campaign and also that we understand the foreign fighter picture in eastern Syria and that we don't allow the foreign fighters that have been captured to return to the battlefield. It is, uh, of course, accurate that ISIS has suffered significant leadership losses and near uh, total loss of territorial control. But of course, they're still dangerous, which is your point, and they're the largest Sunni terrorist group, and they still command thousands of fighters in Iraq and Syria. So I think uh, the uh, stance uh, in the administration and supported by the IC is that we're going to work very hard to finish that mission, and that we that's another example of where we must maintain a very robust monitoring regime and, and retain the ability to project into Syria should we need to. Director Coates, you looked like you, you wanted to add to that. Well, just to make the point that um, while we have defeated the caliphate um, with a couple of little villages left, um, uh, it would be, we should not underestimate the um, ability of terrorist groups, particularly ISIS and, and affiliated uh, groups with al-Qaeda uh, and other terrorist groups, that they are operating not simply on what takes place on the battlefield um, uh, that gives them strength or weakness, but they're operating on the basis of a, of a theocracy, a theology, an ideology uh, that we will continue to see uh, for perhaps years ahead uh, in various places of the world. Uh, so we see... We see uh, those that were engaged uh, in Syria, uh, uh, moving to other ungoverned spaces. Uh, we see uh, the tentacles of, uh, uh, of ISIS and, and uh, ISIS and Al-Qaeda tactics uh, in different places in the world, North Africa, the Philippines. We've just seen that take place, ISIS claiming credit for that. So um, ISIS will continue to be a threat uh, to the United States, and we're going to have to continue, as Director Haspel said, to keep our uh, eyes uh, on that and uh, our interest in the realization that uh, this terrorism threat is going to continue for some time. Senator Harris. Um, this question is for Directors Haspel, Coates, and General Ashley, and it's about North Korea. Uh, what would you say is the current state of the threat from North Korea? And perhaps we can start with Director Haspel. Well, briefly, uh, of course, uh, the regime is committed to developing a long-range nuclear armed missile that would pose a direct threat uh, to the United States. Uh, it is uh, positive that we have managed to engage them in a dialogue. Um, they have taken some voluntary measures to close a site, dismantle a site, but ultimately, the objective is to lessen that threat by getting them to declare their program and then ultimately dismantle the program. I think others can probably add to that. Director Coates? Well, I, I affirm what Director Haspel has just, just said. Um, uh, I think we, we continue to go into this situation eyes wide open. Uh, we want to employ uh, the best of assets we can to understand what the Koreans are thinking, North Koreans are thinking, and what they're doing. Uh, we have uh, uh, capabilities which we can talk about in a, in a secure session in terms of how we uh, um, gather that information and how we assess that to give to our policymakers and to give to uh, the negotiating uh, partners uh, relative to where we're going uh, with North Korea. Um, 
we 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 hold to uh, the stated um, premise that uh, denuclearization uh, is is the goal which has to be achieved. But I will, at that point, just say um, I want to ensure the American people and ensure everybody listening here that um, we are fully engaged in in uh, providing the. Uh, essential intelligence needed relative to the uh, negotiations that are going on. And in this setting, can you say, at least since you've been in, in the position you've been in, that their threat in terms of their ability to strike the United States has diminished in any way? Uh, I think the assessments we've made up to this particular point uh, uh, hold, obviously, as I mentioned in my opening statement, um, that um, uh, over this past year we have not seen any evidence? Uh, they have not uh, uh, done missile, seen mi a nuclear missile testing uh, or launching. So that's the position we're in right now. But again, um, uh, we um, we keep an open eyes and, and open ears to exactly what's going on. General, so the, the technologies that they demonstrated um, from a technical standpoint that showed a capability to have an ICBM function still exists. Uh, there still is a substantial military capacity that Kim Jong-un wields. 70% uh, of his forces are along the DMZ. So the capabilities and threat uh, that existed a year ago are still there. And um, Director Haspel, and thank you, General. De Director Haspel, North Korea has obviously a terrible record of human rights, um, and they're deeply isolated, obviously, from the international community. Um, and this is the result of many... Um, Policies, intentional, um, probably mostly. Do you believe that North Korea values the legitimacy that comes with direct diplomatic engagement with the United States? Yes, I think our analysts would assess that they value uh, the dialogue with the United States, and we do we do see indications that Kim Jong Un. Uh, is trying to uh, navigate uh, a path toward uh, some kind of better future for the North Korean people. Are you aware of any intelligence suggesting that his behaviors and their human rights record has improved in any substantial way over the last couple of years? It's obviously something we monitor to the degree possible. Um, I do think that... Um, uh, a vision for North Korea that further brings them into the community of nations uh, would have a positive effect on our ability to influence them on important things like human rights. But over the last couple of years, have you seen any change in their behaviors? I, I don't think I can point to any specific changes over the last couple of years. Thank you. Senator Cotton. Director Haspel, we've spoken some about ISIS today. Um, and the threat of ISIS if they were to reform. One ongoing threat uh, from ISIS is that the Syrian Democratic Forces have a number of detainees uh, from ISIS. Do you know how many detainees the SDF currently hold? Could you turn your uh, microphone on, please? Sorry about that. Senator, we do know the number. Um, in this forum, I'll say that they, they have hundreds of, of foreign fighters. Um, the IC as a whole is working very, very hard to make sure we know who those are, return people to their country of origin, and to make sure that uh, even as ISIS, um, as we continue to make gains against them on the battlefield, um, that these foreign fighters do not, are not able to return to the fight. 
do categorize. And I can be more specific uh, this afternoon in terms of the exact numbers. And could you speak broadly about the types of detainees? Are we talking about foot soldiers? Uh, are we talking about major external operations planners, bomb makers, that sort of thing? All of the above, Senator. So it would be very bad for our nation if those detainees were released. I think it would be very bad, and the IC has taken great pains to categorize and make sure who we know who these individuals are. And we, of course, are working very closely with our foreign allies to do just that. Thank you. The Lawfare Podcast Shoots. is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution yet. Thanks this time around to Elena Kagan, who edited this long hearing down to such a short and manageable size. We're going to be trying other things on the Lawfare podcast Shoots. over the next few weeks. So expect little additions to show up in your feed. And as always, thanks for listening.